Well, um, I know that, so I'm Michael, and I'm the church plant resident here at uh, The Vine, and I'm sure glad there was no rain yesterday when my family was moving into our apartment in Madison. It was nice to not have to worry about that. Uh, I just wanted to say thank you on behalf of our family for the warm welcome we've received from the Vine family. Uh, we moved into our apartment yesterday and found some food in the fridge and in the pantry, and some of you donated to that. Some of you helped clean our apartment before we moved in. Some of you helped unload. Uh, and we're just so grateful for just the many ways that you've tangibly shown us God's love for us through his people. Uh, just a real blessing. Uh, my wife, Heather, and our two little girls would have loved to be here this morning to say thanks as well. Our little kids are sick today, so they stayed home, unfortunately. But I'm glad to be here this morning, and we'll be continuing our series in Proverbs. So if you want to turn to Proverbs chapter 3, and if you also want to kind of stick your finger in your Bible at Hebrews chapter 12, uh, the two related passages we'll be looking at this morning. And Proverbs 3, uh, we're just looking at two verses, 11 and 12. But they're really rich, powerful verses that really deal with, I think, a very common problem that we encounter in life. We actually alluded to it in song. When darkness seems to hide his face. uh, I think you know what I'm talking about. That scenario where either you or someone you know is going through a hard season. And the question that's on your mind or their mind in that season becomes, does God love me? Is he for me or is he against me right now? Because it sure feels like that, right? I'm sure you've been there or you will be there at some point. And God has wisdom for us from the book of Proverbs to help us navigate that question, to know how to live well when we find ourselves in the midst of a hard season wondering what God is up to. And like many things in the book of Proverbs, it's fairly clear, it's not that complicated, but it might be hard to live out. And so let's begin with a word of prayer, asking God to not just help us see it this morning, but to help us embrace it and live it out when we leave these doors. So let me pray. Father, thank you so much that you are a God that speaks to us. You don't leave us as children lost in the woods, having no idea how to get out or get home. But you're a God that walks with us and speaks to us and says, this is the way to go, even if sometimes you're only telling us one step at a time. And so I pray this morning that as we open up your word, that I would speak only what you want me to say and that we would hear your voice this morning, teaching us how to walk and that you would strengthen us to walk the path of wisdom, even and especially when it's hard. And so I pray especially this morning for those who come in burdened, that they would find a word of hope and encouragement this morning. And I pray for those who come in this morning needing to be convicted and challenged, that you would break through hard hearts, give them eyes to see, and a heart that wants to respond to you rightly. And for all of us, help us to listen for our good and your glory. Amen. Let me read Proverbs 3, 11 through 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Like a lot of Proverbs, when you first look at them, it's not hard to conceptually grasp 
grasp the point, right? We need to embrace God's discipline in our lives as a sign of his love for us. But how we do that is a little bit trickier. And so we want to answer three questions that will help us dig into this so we can live this path of wisdom out. We're going to ask, what is the Lord's discipline? How do we actually embrace it? And why do we embrace it? All right, so what is it? How do we embrace it? Why do we embrace it? So let's start with what is the Lord's discipline? You know, I'm guessing if you just hear the word discipline, every one of you has a mental picture that enters your brain when you hear that word, right? You might be able to give your own definition. We might have slightly different ones based off our experiences and what we've gone through. And I think one common confusion with discipline that we need to address right away is that discipline is often confused with punishment. We think that they're synonymous, that they are one and the same thing, but they are not. Discipline is not the same thing as punishment. The big difference is in their aims, their goals. So punishment's goal is very simple, to bring a negative consequence into the person's life who did something wrong, right? This is what the courts do, right? They determine whether someone broke the law, did something wrong, and then they mete out an appropriate punishment to them, whether it's a fine or jail time. It's not technically the, the, the judge's job to make that person a better person later, to make sure they turn out better. His job is to decide whether they broke the law and to mete out punishment, period. But discipline is different. Discipline is not just handing out a punishment. Discipline's aim is restoration. It's growth. It's not just punishment. But we often get them confused, right? Because a lot of times discipline involves sometimes pain. So in Hebrews 12, the author there commenting on these verses says this in verse 11. He says this, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, right? That's why we get it mixed up. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It, there's a goal here. The goal is the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It's righteousness, which is biblically right living, getting you back on track living rightly. But sometimes it feels painful, so we can confuse it with punishment, but they're not the same. Imagine with me a shepherd taking care of his sheep, right? And the wolf comes to attack the sheep. He's going to use his rod to strike the, the wolf, right? Now imagine one of his sheep is wandering over to a cliff's edge. And in order to save the sheep, he quickly kind of whacks it with the rod to get it back towards safety. Both the sheep and the wolf experienced the rod. But for one, it was punishment. For the other, it was correction. It was meant to restore. It was meant to save. That's often what happens between discipline and punishment, right? Punishment just seeks to punish. Discipline seeks to restore. And so, for example, uh, discipline is meant to keep us from a, a worse harm. So I think about this instance with my daughter. About a month ago, she got a sliver in her foot, right? This, well, this thorn, really, jammed in her, the heel of her foot. It's painful, right? So we need to take it out. But taking it out is also painful, right? And so we're trying to pull it out, and she's just screaming out the top of her lungs. I'm like holding her, and my wife's got the tweezers trying to pull out the thorn. You know, she's screaming, and like the neighbors across the street are looking over like, are they beating that child? What is going on, right? 
but we need to do that because it was better for her in the long run. And discipline is the same. It's like pulling out that sliver. Sometimes it's painful, but it's meant to restore. And uh, in the book of Job, it really hits this clear in Job 5, 17, 18. It says, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty. That's what we're hearing here. Because he wounds, but he binds up. He shatters, but his hands heal. Sometimes there's pain in the discipline process, but it's for our good. But discipline is not just always painful correction, right? Discipline also involves verbal instruction and correction. So even if we look at verse 11 again, we see that it finishes with the line, do not be weary of his reproof, right? Reproof is a verbal correction, right? Don't go there. Stop that, right? Verbal correction. And that's part of this discipline process as well. So uh, in Proverbs 10, 17, really affirms this for us again, where it says, whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. So don't reject reproof, heed instruction. And that word for instruction is the same word here, translating chapter three, as discipline. It's the same word. Because discipline involves instruction as well as that painful part, right? So discipline aim is to keep us on the path of life, says Proverbs 10, 17. Heed discipline, heed instruction. It keeps you on the path of life. So if you think about a kid who doesn't know that outlets are bad to touch, right? Discipline isn't just the painful discipline when they disobey. Discipline is the initial teaching of them. Don't go there. Don't touch that. That will hurt you. Discipline is also that verbal rebuke when they start to wander over and they kind of look back at you and you're like, don't go there. It's not going to end well for you. That's also part of the discipline process. It's this full-orbed training. Anything that's required to train the person up into full maturity is part of the discipline process. So discipline is not like a judge handing down a sentence. Discipline is a father training up a child. It's a craftsman teaching an apprentice everything he knows and correcting him so he becomes the best craftsman. That's the discipline process, right? So what might that look like in real life? What might the Lord's discipline look like? Well, it might look like that experience you've had where you open up your Bible or you come here on Sunday morning or you're talking with a friend and whatever that word is just cuts right into your heart and you're like, bam, man, that hit me exactly where I need to be hit. I'm guilty as charged. I needed to hear that to be corrected and changed. That could be the Lord's discipline, right? It also might look like hard things that God brings into your life to train you up. And we need to be really careful here, right? Because Job's friends, for example, when Job goes through hard things, they say, look, Job, it's really simple. You do bad things, you get punished. You do good things, you don't, right? So if bad things are happening, it's sin, period. That's not the biblical worldview. That's karma. The biblical worldview is much more nuanced. The biblical worldview says, yes, sometimes the hard things that happen in your life are due to the consequences of your own sin. And God's trying to get your attention. Sometimes, though, the evil things that happen in your life is just due to living in a sinful, broken world. There's no one-to-one correlation to your life. This world is broken and full of evil people. And sometimes God uses hard things as a process of training us. So maybe God says, look, you're not sinning right now, 
but you're like a level three in patience, and I want to like level you up in your patience ability, okay? So you know what God's going to do? He's going to stick you in a situation that tries your patience, right? Or maybe he's like, you know, you've gotten so much better from when you were like in middle school of handling your temper, but I want you to grow in your ability to control your anger. So I'm going to stick you in situations that push all of your buttons. That's also the Lord's discipline, training, correction, right? And so anytime God's word is cutting you or speaking to you or instructing you, anytime there's something hard in your life, say, okay, God, make me a humble learner to receive this and learn from it and grow from it. That's his discipline. It's not just the hard things, although it includes that, but it's also his teaching, his instruction, his correcting, his rebuking. That's his discipline. So let's explore more now. How do we really embrace his discipline? And it was really important we had a good understanding of discipline. Because if you think discipline's only punishment, then the words of verse 11 are really hard to hear. Do not despise the Lord's discipline, right? Well, if you just think it's punishment, it's going to be really hard to not despise it. But remember, it's not just that, right? So training, correcting, the whole process of making us mature. And so he says, don't despise it. Well, what does it mean to despise something? Well, you might think it means to dislike something, right? Like, I despise broccoli, right? Okay, maybe, you know? So I don't like broccoli. But it's not just a not liking emotionally. It's more than that, right? Because if, if you're at somebody's house and you despise broccoli, then when the plate of broccoli comes by, you're going to like covertly like let it pass you by to not offend your host. But you're not going to take it, right? Because you despise broccoli. You're rejecting it, right? It's more than just an emotional dislike. It's an outright rejection at the end of the day. We say, no thanks, God. I don't want that plate of discipline. I'll let it pass me right by. I'm going to reject it. And we see this really clearly in 1 Samuel 15, where Saul, the first king of Israel, has disobeyed God. And now Samuel the prophet says this, because you have rejected, it's the same word as despised here, because you've rejected slash despised the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. It's not just an emotional dislike. It's an act of the will. Don't despise it. So the father's saying to the son, look, don't reject God's discipline. Don't pass that plate by when it comes. Don't hate it. Don't want to fight it. Embrace it. Don't despise it. Don't reject it. Because just like broccoli, you need it to grow healthy, even if you might not initially like it. Don't despise it. Embrace it. Now, he has to give us this warning Because sometimes the default response in our life is exactly that, right? To despise discipline. Maybe you have a hard time thinking that discipline brings about anything good. So when it comes, you're like, I don't like this. I don't see any good in it. So you just want to reject it and throw it away. Or maybe there's a little bit of pride in your heart. Like, I don't need discipline. I'm a pretty good person. I can name five other people in this room that need discipline, but I'm okay, right? So you want to reject it. Or maybe you think, well, who's this God to discipline me anyways? It's my life. I get to control what happens. Well, you didn't choose when you are born. You're not going to choose when you die either. You're not really in control of your life, okay? The sermon isn't about that, but what the sermon is about is calling us to respond rightly. Because if you reject discipline, if you reject the loving discipline of God, Proverbs 15.10 tells us where that's going to end. It says, then there's a severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. Whoever hates reproof will die. 
That's where rejecting discipline ends, in death. The path of life, remember, was in heeding instruction and discipline, right? Embracing it. Don't reject it. Don't throw it away. You need to humbly submit yourself to that word. But we're not just warned against angrily fighting it. Verse 11 also says this, don't be weary of his reproof, right? I see some of you, when God brings hard things in your life, your, your reaction is to fight it, right? I don't want that. I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be bitter. But some of you, your reaction is to grow weary and discouraged and depressed. It's just as much a rejection of God's discipline. It just looks different, right? You're weary of it. You don't like it. The, the word here is, someone has translated loathe. I don't want it. I don't want it. Just keep it away. How many of you like exercising? And, 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 and I don't mean like the, the enjoyment you get like later on into it when like the endorphins start kicking in or like the goal of it, but like the actual burn in your muscles or like how many of you like that feeling of like when the alarm goes off at 5 a.m. so you can get up and exercise, right? Now, I know some of you do, but you were dropped as children, so you don't count. Um, <laughs> for the rest of us... <laughs> You, you know what I'm talking about? Like, maybe you like the fact that it keeps you healthy, but sometimes when that alarm goes off at 5 a.m. in the morning, you're like, ugh, 5 a.m., and I need to get out of bed and go running. And in that moment, you don't want it. You are weary of it, right? And you have to convince yourself it's worth it. And the father is writing to his son in Proverbs and to us. He's saying, there will be moments where you might be tempted to be weary of discipline, Discipline will come, and you'll be like, ugh, God's discipline again? I'm so tired of it. You're not going to be angry and shake your fists at God, but you're like, I just don't want to deal with this. Right? I, I, I don't want to fight. I just want to run away and hide. I don't want to listen. So, so maybe you've had a long week, and then a brother or sister from the Vine family comes to you and says, hey, man, I've been seeing this pattern in your life, and I want to challenge you as to whether that really lines up with how God's calling you to live. And you're like, seriously? It had to come this week? Like, this was the worst timing ever for this. I'm already discouraged and beat up. I didn't want to hear this. And the Father's saying, be careful of that temptation. Don't be weary of it. Which is why... The author in Hebrews commenting on this in verse 7 of chapter 12 says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. You need to endure it. It is hard. Let's not try to whitewash that. It's hard sometimes, but you need to endure it. You need to not just embrace it, but endure it. Well, how do you endure? Well, how do runners keep running when they're tired? They have their eyes set on the goal, right? They see the goal, and so they're able to look past the pain and to the goal. And so we read that earlier in, chapter, in Hebrews 12, verse 11, right? The goal is that peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The goal is this peaceful life of right living before God. And I'm guessing all of you know people that have been trained this way, right? They're older, they're maybe getting closer to the end of their life, and they are so full of joy, and they're patient, and they're loving, and they're kind, and they love to serve. And then there are other people that are older in life who are grumpy, 
bitter people. You know how they got there? They made choices all along the way to reject that discipline. So they didn't experience the training of discipline to produce in them the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So the father's saying, don't be weary, endure it, because it's going to pay off. There's no pain, no gain, right? You can't become an Olympic athlete without putting in hours and hours and weeks and months and years of training into it, right? You can't believe, become a martial arts expert by just putting on one of those like white robes and tying like a black belt around you, right? You have to go through tons of training. And you can't become a wise person without lots of daily embracing of discipline, without lots of instruction and teaching and correction and rebuking and, yes, suffering. That's part of the process of making you a wise, righteous person. You can't get around that. And I think one of the reasons why we have a hard time embracing discipline is we lose sight of the goal. We lose sight of that. And this really hit me when I was back in Canada visiting my family, and I read an article from McLean's Magazine, kind of like Canada's Time Magazine. And it was an article actually on assisted suicide, but there was an interesting quote by a, by a philosophy professor about suffering that I thought was really fitting. It says this. He said, There used to be a kind of rhetoric about suffering that had a religious basis, that suffering can be noble. That is pretty much eroded away, and people now just tend to see suffering as needless. We used to see death as the enemy. Now we've come to see suffering as the enemy. There used to be a way of seeing suffering that had a purpose to it. But now, it's just pointless, he says. It's needless. And if he's right, then yeah, it is really hard to embrace discipline, isn't it? But there is a goal. There is a point to discipline. There is an aim that we're striving for. And so embrace discipline. When you open your Bible and when you come on Sunday morning, do you come eager for God to teach you and correct you if needed? So you're not just coming to be like, oh, that was a cool illustration, but you're coming to say, God, shape me, change me as I open your word, as I sit with other believers. When someone comes to you and says, hey, I want to speak some truth into your life, don't put up the defensive walls. Ask God to say, God, would you just help me to humbly listen? Even if they end up being wrong, would you help me to listen and prayerfully consider whether you're speaking through them to correct me? And when he sticks something hard in your life, you don't need to ask the why. Just ask, God, would you help me to respond wisely? Would you use this to train me to be more like Jesus? That's how you embrace discipline. That's how you're not weary by it. You day by day embrace it and endure it by God's grace. Now, let's look at the last question then. Why should we embrace the Lord's discipline? We've talked about it a little bit and saying that there's a goal, there's a point, right? But interestingly enough, in Proverbs, that's not where the author goes because he realizes that the answer to the problem that suffering brings, the discipline brings, is not a practical one. It's an emotional one. We often find ourselves saying, if God loves me, why is he bringing this pain in my life? I, I thought you don't cause pain to people you love. So if I'm experiencing pain at his hands, does that mean he doesn't love me? 
And so what does the author of Proverbs say? He says this in verse 12. For, here's the reason why he disciplines. For, the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. The reason why he disciplines you, the reason why you need to embrace it is actually because it's a sign of his love for you. Just like a father disciplines the son he loves. And it's, this analogy is from the lesser to the greater, right? Just as a human father does it, so God's doing it. But right away, we have to pause because we run into a small problem because I realize in a room with this many people in it, there are some of you who, when you hear this illustration of the father, say, I don't know what it is to have a father who loves me and disciplines me in love. I knew a father who was angry. I knew a father who caused pain and hurt and hardship, but I don't know what it looks like to receive loving discipline from a father. And I hope that's the minority of you. But there are probably some of you here. And God says, I'm not like that. I'm a good father. The best you could imagine. And let me teach you what it is like to come under my loving discipline. Let me teach you. He wants to say, look, I know that you have a hard time imagining that love and painful discipline can go together. But I want to show you they can. Imagine with me that you are in the front yard of a house and there's a child you love playing in the yard. Maybe it's your own child. Maybe it's a niece or nephew or cousin or neighbor's kid you just kind of like. And they start running towards the busy road with lots of traffic. Is not the loving thing to call out to them, stop, don't go there. And if they didn't listen, would not the loving thing be to run up and grab them, even if you had to do so forcefully enough to cause a little bit of pain, to yank them away from the road? Is that not the loving thing to do? Would it not still be the loving thing to do if that child looked at you and said, how can you be loving me when you hurt my shoulder? They missed it. They are only paying attention to their shoulder when you saw the road and the cars on the road and the death that awaited them. And so in love, you pulled them back. And God says, that's why I discipline. Because you don't say there's a road of severe discipline that leads to death. And I want to pull you away from that road. If I have to yank on your shoulder a little bit to do it, I will do that because I love you. God says, look, I, I love you and that's why I discipline. Hebrews 12.10 really draws this out well. He says, look, fathers, earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed good to them. But God disciplines us for our good. And he knows what's good, that we may share his holiness, that we might be made like God who is holy, like Jesus who is holy. He says, I love you enough to see the big picture and to correct you when you're off track in the big picture, even if it causes some short-term pain. Do you know what that means? It means that God's just flipped the problem on its head. Because when we see painful discipline, we think, how can God love us? And God's saying, don't you see? That's the very evidence I love you. The fact that you're experiencing painful discipline is proof of my love for you. Because look, if you're in the grocery store and there's a kid in aisle two who's freaking out, you're not going to go discipline them, right? Because they're not your kid. And that's what the author in Hebrews 12, 7 to 8 says. He says, look, 
It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. If you're not experiencing discipline, it's because God's not your father. But if it is, it's because he's called you as his own child. This really hit home for me when I was working at a college as an administrative secretary. And a mom would come in all the time to use the computer lab and had a couple of kids. And these kids were crazy. I hope none of you kids are like this, but they would like run around, mess with the photocopiers. They were just completely out of control. You could tell they had no instruction and no correction of behavior. And one day I was chatting with the mom and she looked at me and said something that made all the puzzle pieces click. She said, you know, I never wanted to be a mom. Friends, God wants to be a father. He wants to do the dirty work of rolling up his sleeves and disciplining rebellious children who often spit in his face even as he's reaching down to love them. That's who God is. That's what God does. It's his love for you. And not only did he do that, but he did something even more. He sent his only perfect son, Jesus, to earth. Hebrews 5, 8 says this, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus was perfect, but he experientially learned obedience even through suffering, though he was perfect. Why did he do this? Hebrews 5, 9 goes on to say, so that he might become the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. He suffered what he didn't deserve to bring salvation to people that did deserve suffering. And he did this, as Isaiah 53, 5, this very famous verse, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. He was pierced for us, wounded for us. He was disciplined for us. Wait, disciplined? Where's that word in that verse? Well, the word chastisement is the same word here for discipline. See, Jesus experienced the severe discipline. The severe discipline that Proverbs 15.10 tells us leads to death. He experienced that discipline for us so that he could offer us life, adoption to God's family, and loving discipline. That's what Jesus did. That's what God did in sending Jesus to suffer that for us. Because none of us is perfect. None of us has been perfectly obedient. We all deserve that severe discipline. But Jesus bore it. Jesus bore it. So if you're sitting there thinking, Sometimes it just feels like God's loving discipline in my life feels unfair. You are so right. It is outrageously unfair that Jesus, who didn't deserve suffering, suffered, and we who deserve death receive loving discipline. Every time you experience loving discipline from God's hand, remember it costs something. It costs the very blood and life of God's perfect son so you could receive it. It's not fair you get loving discipline. It's outrageously unfair. The only person who gets to claim fair is Jesus, and he laid it aside so we could receive grace and loving discipline. Do you see that this morning? 
Do you see God's discipline as love to you? Because if you don't, it's going to be very hard to embrace discipline. No, it's going to be impossible. Because even if you see it as love, it's still hard to embrace it. But it is. I love this quote from St. Gregory the Great that I think touches on this so well. He says this, While Jesus was daily rescuing souls from the captivity of the ancient enemy, he was beaten by the men who insulted him. That while washing us with the water of salvation, he did not hide his face from the spitting of evil men. That while he freed us from eternal punishments by his counsels, he tolerated great punishment. That while he saved us from the piercing of our sins, he submitted his head to the crown of thorns so that he might prepare life for the dead. He gave his life unto death. Why then is it so difficult to believe that humans should endure suffering from God for the evil that they do if God endured so great an evil in response to his goodness? And who with healthy reasoning can be ungrateful for his suffering if God himself did not go without punishments, even though he was without sin. How can anyone with healthy reasoning be ungrateful for all that Jesus went through? This morning, the book of Proverbs offers us two paths. The path of life is found in embracing correction, rebuke, training, and even the painful things in our life to humble ourselves under them and say, Father, teach me. I don't deserve this. Thank you for giving me Jesus to adopt me into your family. I need to believe in him and now help me to humbly learn and listen and grow. And the other path is the path of death. It's a path that rejects that discipline, says, no thanks, God, I don't want it. And it leads only to one place, death. Now, whether you walked in this morning and consider yourself a follower of Jesus or not, whether you already trusted in him for salvation or not, the choice is before you this morning. Will you choose life by trusting in Jesus and submitting to his loving discipline? Or will you reject it, go your own way, and end in death? Our Father from heaven calls out and says, Embrace my discipline for your good. It's a sign of my love for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you treat us better than we deserve. That while we only deserve death and punishment, you sent your son Jesus, who did not deserve it, to take it upon himself to offer salvation to all who obey him to all who will humbly submit to him, trust in him, learn from him. So Father, I pray this morning for those who have walked in and who don't consider themselves as followers of Jesus, who don't trust in you, who don't want to submit to your discipline, would you help them see that actually that's the better way? And Father, I pray for those this morning that come in burdened by difficulty. I pray that even this morning, if they came in feeling like darkness hid your face, that maybe a beam of truth, like a light beam, burst through the clouds and have given them a word of encouragement and hope. And I pray that all of us this morning would hear your call and embrace your discipline. 
for our good and your glory.